Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Thank you for being here. All our guests, let's give our guests a hand clap. We're honored that you're here today. Thank you for being in service with us. My objective today is to help us understand the power of living a thankful life. I read this quote the other day that thanksgiving or gratitude is the source for all other Christian virtues. I'm going to give you another revelation. Not only is it the source of all other Christian virtues, God favors the grateful. He favors those that don't mind giving him a little thanks every once in a while. And we can't even get within the king's gates without thanksgiving. You Forget the table. Forget the king's courts. We can't even get in the gates without being thankful. So I think it would be appropriate before we get into our scripture text. Just to tell the king how thankful we really are. God, we're trying to get close to you today. God, we're trying to get close to you today. God, we're... Thankful to be in your presence, God. We're trying to get close to you today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Remember, no midweek service this week. Enjoy family time, Thanksgiving time. Don't eat too much turkey. Remember, gluttony is still a sin. No pressure. Philippians is called the book of joy. And it's obvious Paul wants us, Christ believers, to live in the joy of the Lord instead of just reacting to our circumstances. If you react to your circumstances, you'll never have consistent joy in your life. The fact is, joy consists of internal stability despite external circumstances. So you can be in the midst of chaos and still have joy. In the midst of trials battles, the enemy trying to tempt you and get you out of the kingdom of God. And there you are in the heat of the battle with joy in your life. So we turn to Philippians 4 and 4, and this is what Paul writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Every season, every moment of my life, I've got to live a life of rejoicing. I don't have a very deep title today. I don't have, this title isn't going to blow your socks off. So you you good if you got nice socks on. But it's not going to blow your socks off. But I'm going to preach my heart to you today. I'm going to give you a God. It's been on my heart all week. And I'm going to preach this topic for the next few moments. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else in my life can bring me the joy that the Lord brings to my life. No material possession, no relationship, nothing in this world can suffice to the joy that the Lord brings in my life. Does anybody feel that way? I'm thankful to know him today. Thankful to know him today. And let's lift our hands one more time. God, I need your anointing today. I need your power. Help me to minister in your spirit, God. Not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but God, help me to speak underneath the unction and the power of your spirit, God. Let there be a demonstration today. Let lives be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Someone shout amen. Amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise and you may be seated. 
You may be seated. There's an old uh, Jewish story that tells of a man who goes to the rabbi and complains. He said, life is unbearable because there are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi answers, go back and take your goat into the room to live with you nine. The man is incredulous and skeptical, but the rabbi insists, do as I say and come back in one week. So a week later, the man comes back looking more distraught and exhausted than before. And he tells the rabbi, we cannot stand it. The goat is filthy and it will not sleep. To which the rabbi replies, now go home, let the goat out and come back in a week. A week later, a radiant man returns exclaiming life is beautiful and we enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat in the room. The moral of the story is this. It's sad that it sometimes takes an inconvenience or an interruption in our lives to make us realize how blessed we are. I could tell you that, that often I tell God, I, God, I want to live a life of thankfulness without being forced to change my perspective. God, I want to learn how to be thankful before you ever have to interrupt my life and get my attention and cause something to happen that's going to, going to make me appreciate how blessed that I really am. Because thankfulness should be an expression in my everyday life and not just a byproduct of momentary gifts. But let's be honest this morning. Let's just be honest. Let's push off the facade. And let's just be honest this morning. Gratitude doesn't come naturally to any of us. But grumbling does. Oh, don't point at nobody. You better point at yourself right now. You was griping this morning. Griping at the kids. Griping at your spouse. Griping at the dog. Dog can't help it. It's a dog. That's what it is. So I told my wife, I said, I said you mad? Because we, we take the dog to the groomer. And then she goes out and wallers in the dirt. And Tiffany's like, why does she do that? Well, she's a dog. Great revelation. You can't. Don't gripe about it when you got her. You, you, you signed the contract that she's going to be a dog and she's going to go wild around in the dirt and, and she's going to get on your furniture. But we are quick to complain and hesitant to appreciate, especially in the good old USA. I read a, a blog by a teacher the other day and it had a video with it that I watched and I wept for 30 minutes. The author says it's, it was my fifth time in Nigeria. The electricity was out as usual. A water heater had been installed, but its reliance on electricity made the availability of a hot shower unpredictable. But fortunately, in July, there were plenty of monsoons to fill up the water tank. So most of the time, I could at least get some water from the sink. Of course, the heavy rain on the 10 classroom roofs was sometimes too loud for students to hear a word I said. The Internet had not been functional enough to download a single document for the past week making a lesson planning for the graduate course I was teaching slightly more limited. But none of this was atypical in Kangaroo, Nigeria. Such challenges were simply part of it. Many students came from places where life was much harder. Food was scarce. The Boko Haram had burned down their church multiple times. The roads had been washed out from the rain. Curfews kept people fearfully inside after dark. Being on the seminary campus, even living in their tiny dorms with short nights because of their heavy workloads was a privilege and a blessing. And the author said, every time I visited Nigeria, my appreciation for the small things was refreshed. And returning to the U.S. Was, was some of the, the, with some of the superficial complaints really irked me. 
So what if your new iPhone took 10 seconds longer than the last one to download a photo? You still have the internet at your fingertips. And the author says, but let's be real. I quickly slipped back in, into basing my satisfaction for products or services on the norms around me. I was soon annoyed when I had terrible reception in my preferred areas of the house. And I would catch myself saying, I hate it when there's nowhere to charge my phone. I hate it when the internet is this slow. I hate it when they put you on hold. I hate it when our live stream is down like it is this morning. Just threw that in there. I hate it when there are too many questions to choose from. I hate it. When my fridge is so full that I can't fit anything else in it. Just this week, we ran out of waters in the fridge. And Brantley went out and got a case of waters and brought it in. And I'll never, I, before I read this, I realized that I did it this week. We couldn't fit the waters in the fridge because there were so many leftovers. And I looked at my wife. I said, I hate it when our fridge is this full. Because we're guilty. How many times have we turned privileges into rights and blessings into entitlement? We feel like we deserve to live this life. Thank God for iPhones and iPads and roofs over our heads. But when's the last time we just thanked him for being God? And the closer we get to the end time, the more prevalent this will become. Paul tells Timothy, and in the last days, difficult times will come. And then Paul lists the sinful attitudes and behaviors that will characterize these perilous times. 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 4. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. You heard that, kids? Spirit of the Antichrist might have got on you if you're disobedient to your parents. Oh, let me preach to the whole church. And if you're ungrateful, you probably have the spirit of the Antichrist on you as well and me as well. Okay. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasures rather than God. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that's so sad the world would act like that. But hold on just a minute. Did you read verse 5? They will act religious. But they will reject the power that can make them godly. Outwardly, these unthankful people will seem religious. They'll make a profession of Christianity, but their actions will speak louder than their words. It's the fearful portrayal of an apostate Christendom. A new paganism masquerading under the name of Christianity. And you know what Paul says? Stay away from people like that. Please hear me. We need to combat the spirit. Of ungratefulness with thanksgiving. And it's not enough to have a grateful heart. We must practice grateful habits. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, you know my heart. I really don't. Wasn't born with a heart reader. Don't. Maybe, maybe us using that analogy, well, you know my heart is an excuse to not be thankful. Because the Bible does say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I want you to look across the aisle and tell your neighbor, hey, I'm thankful for you. Come on, we're going to make it uncomfortable today. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Gratitude and thanksgiving are action words. It's not something that's in your heart. It's something that comes out of your mouth. 
Kids, it'd be okay for you to go to your parents and say, I'm thankful for you. Not say, Mom and Daddy, you know I love you. No, tell them you love them. Parents, it'd be good for you to go to your kids and say, I'm thankful for you. I love you. It's about expressing gratitude. It'd be good for you to go to your pastor and tell him how much you love him. Just threw that in there. I don't know who he is, but I heard he's an amazing guy. You need to go tell him every once in a while. Listen, let me ask you a question. When is the last time you posted something that you're thankful for on social media? Or you just post on there what, what you're mad about? When's the last time you thanked somebody with a letter of appreciation? Listen, my handwriting is messy, but I will write and misspell a hundred words and I write a letter of appreciation. And I even bought me a wax stamp with a P on it. And I sealed the envelope. When was the last time you sent a text message? Watch this. It's key. Because if we're going to get access to the king's table, we've got to get rid of negative, selfish, prideful. And cynicism. We've got to get all that out of our heart, out of our lives. And we've got to put on an attitude of thanksgiving. I want to tell you today, God, I'm thankful. For the people in my life that believe in me. I'm thankful for the people who hadn't given up on me. I'm thankful for my crazy family. I said crazy. All the dysfunction has made me a better person. <laughs> I'm thankful. Listen, I could, we got to find reasons to thank God. Even, even when it seems like there's no reason to thank God. I thank God for the sunshine. But I thank you for the rain. I thank him for the fall. I thank him for the winter. I thank him for the holiday season. You know what I thank God for? For coffee. Where would my life be without a good cup? I ain't got no help in here. I thought I was preaching to people. Listen, can you imagine? Two things have changed our world, the Holy Ghost and coffee. Can you imagine what the world would be like without coffee? I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I, I, I want to drink it the rest of my life. I'm not addicted. Well, maybe a little bit, but I just I love coffee. You know what else I'm thankful for? Air conditioning. I can't get no help in here. I'm preaching. That's the best it's going to get this morning. I'm thankful for heat. Thankful for the freedom to worship in a place where I'm not persecuted. Hold on. At least not yet. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for, for this church and for what it's meant to my life. I'm glad that when I'm down, I get to gather in this place and rejoice. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for prayers that have been answered and those that have been unanswered. Listen, Tiffany may have prayed for another husband. God unanswered that prayer, and I stepped in. I'm thankful for unanswered prayers. Scooped her up, swept her off her feet. I'm thankful. I'm, 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 I'm thankful for the times in my life where there wasn't a way. And God stepped in and made a way where there seemed to be no way. Come on, I'm thankful today. I don't know about you, but I don't know where my life would be. I'm thankful for grace and mercy. I'm thankful that when I messed up this week that God showed up. I'm thankful for redemption. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that blood that has washed me white. 
whiter than snow. I'm thankful for redemption. Not, not just for, for reformation, but for regeneration. I'm glad that I was able to be born again. I'm glad that God saved my soul. And hear me today, God, you don't owe me anything else but redemption. I want to wake up and ask myself, when is the last time that I thank God for salvation, for mercy, and for his word? Or do we only thank him for the car we drive, the house we live in, and every other earthly possession? Are we more thankful for the blessing than the hand of the blesser? And please hear me. If we love him for what he can give us and not for who he is, we will never find real joy. Because there's been times in my life it's been the only love I felt was the love of God. There's been times in my life where everybody else walked out, but God never did. There's been times in my life where I needed his power to step in and heal my body, and he did. Come on, he's all-knowing. He's a healer. He's a fortress that the righteous can run into and find strength. God, I don't need anything else but you today, God. You've been the I am that I am in every season of my life. And for that, God, I am thankful. I am thankful. Moses tried to create this culture in the Israelites. He's getting ready to, to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. But they still have some battles ahead of them before they enter. So Moses is telling them about where God is taking them. But he says, before you go there, make up in your mind, you won't forget who brought you there. When you get there to that land flowing with milk and honey... You heard me preach it with cereal trees and Milky Ways and Butterfingers and Hershey Kisses before you get there and Christmas tree cakes. Don't try those little things. They'll get you in trouble. Can't eat just one. You eat a whole box before you know it. Before you get there, don't forget what it was like when those Egyptian taskmasters were whipping you with those whips and you didn't have food or water. And if you did, it was scarce. Don't forget who brought you out of Egyptian bondage and set you free. Why is Moses doing this? Because he knows they tend to let their preferences cause them to miss God's provision. If they didn't like how the food tasted. This was before COVID. You get COVID, can't do nothing about the way the food tastes. But if they didn't like the way the food tasted. Or the schedule on which the food came. They were swift to complain. Somebody put onions on the hamburgers. They didn't like it. They complained the whole time. So Moses goes through the kinds of things they're going to experience. And he tells them, be careful where you get your joy from. Because God's gifts alone will not suffice. And he gives them the key. He tells them they will find joy when they learn to join the gifts with their gratitude for the giver. He was saying you can be surrounded by all these blessings, all these relationships, all this provision, all this goodness and all these opportunities. But if you don't know how to turn the blessing into praise, it's going to turn pride in your heart and you'll never have wholeness or joy because your heart will have holes in it because you didn't give God the thanks that he deserves for the gifts that he gave you. Because if you grow in gifts, but you don't grow in gratitude, what have you gained? If God gives it, but you don't know what to do with it, how is it going to make you happy? Studies have proven that happy people are not ones who have the best of everything, but those who make the most out of what they have. 
I wish I'd have had the picture of my first home that me and Tiffany lived in. I wish I would have put it up there. I had it the other day. I wish I'd have put it up there. Can I tell you? It was, it was a, a mobile home somebody gave us. It was very small. There wasn't much to it. We had a, a, a squirrel or it was a rat, but it was the size of a squirrel that lived with us the whole time we lived in it. Chewed up every cord off my appliance. But I told Tiff the other day, I said, I was just as happy there as I am now living, living in this home. Some of you, you may look and say, well, I don't have the home that they have, but you have a home. And as long as God's in that home, it's home. There's a joy that is unspeakable. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it looks like to others. It's mine. And if God is in the middle of it, there's no greater joy in my life than to have God with me and my family and my home. God's gracious, and we've got to learn how to appreciate him. Now watch this. The utility company makes sure you appreciate them every month. And if you fail to show your appreciation, they'll send you a reminder letter. And on that reminder letter, it'll have past due in the right corner. And if you don't pay within 30 days, guess what they're going to do? They're going to cut your power off. And I feel like God told me to tell somebody, your praise is past due. And maybe... Maybe that's why there's been no power in your life lately. But I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me that God will release his power when you release your praise. That God is sitting on the edge of heaven and he's waiting for you to say, God, I don't have everything I want, but I've got everything I need. God, I'm not as blessed as somebody else on the earth, but God, I've got everything I want. God, I give you praise. I want power in my life. God, don't cut your power off in my life. I want power in my life. Listen, are you walking in blessings that you used that used to be your prayer request today? Look around. Are you living? Are you living in the blessings that used to be a prayer request? And today God deserves praise. Lord, I thank you for how great you are. I feel like Joseph today. I'm going to rejoice because I believe everything the enemy meant for evil. God's getting ready to turn around for good. No one had more cause to grumble than Joseph. He was abandoned, enslaved, betrayed, and estranged. Those are the chapter titles for his life story. Yet when he, when, when he talks about it, you don't hear a tinge of bitterness in Joseph's writings. Instead, you'll hear the opposite. In naming his two sons, he he makes them living, breathing, lifelong testimonies of his gratitude to God. Joseph named his older son Manasseh for he said, God has made me forget, forget all my troubles. And then Joseph named his second son Ephraim for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Notice two things. First, Joseph looked at the past and gave God thanks for what he had brought him through. Second, Joseph looked at the present. And he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Can anybody remember a time when you thought you wouldn't make it? And when others thought you wouldn't make it? But here you are today. God has, pull God has pulled you out of it. Listen, Joseph teaches us that we have a choice. We can wear our hurt or we can wear our hope. We can outfit ourselves in our misfortune or we can clothe ourselves in God's providence. We can, we can cave into the pandemonium of life or we can lean on the perfect plan of God. I've decided, I've decided today in all things I'm going to give thanks to God. In spite of the obstacles, in spite of the opposition. I'm going to turn off the complaining faucet and I'm going to turn on the thanksgiving faucet 
Because I would rather drown in the goodness of God than drown in grumbling and complaining and bitterness. and anger. I'm not going to wear the clothing the enemy tries to put on me. Defeat and failure and a victim and hurt and pain. No, I'm going to put on the goodness and the mercy of God. I'm going to put on the righteousness and the covering. I refuse to let the enemy decide if I'm going to live a thankful life. I've got to hurry. I'm trying to only preach 35 minutes today. That's my goal. I ain't going to make it, but that's my goal. They started the clock early. Dial it back five minutes. I feel this strongly today because I'm reading a book. And I, w- I won't be much longer. I really won't. I'm reading a book by Max Licato called Anxious for Nothing. And this is what he says. He says, the United States is now the most anxious nat- nation in the world. The land of the stars and stripes has become a country of stress and strife. It's a costly achievement. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications from $900 million to $2.1 billion. The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study that indicates an, an increase in depression. In the 20th century, people were three times more likely to experience depression than people of the preceding generation. How can this be? Our college kids are feeling it as well. In a study that involved more than 200,000 incoming freshmen, students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. A psychologist, Robert Lee, points out the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. The fact is, kids have more toys. They've got more clothes. They've got more opportunities than they've ever had. But they are wrapped tighter than an Egyptian mummy by the time they leave home. We tense. Why? Why is, why is there such an uprising in anxiety? Change. Researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they have in the previous 300 years. It's crazy to think about how much is happening around us. Listen, you got here today. You probably got on the news and looked. When you leave here today, it's going to completely change. It'll be something totally different. It changes every day and we've got so much access. So it's wearing us out. It's, it's, we're trying to get a grasp on reality and we can't because everything's changing so fast. A few years ago, an app came out that guessed a person's age by evaluating a picture of the person's face. Anybody remember that? It missed Tiffany, my wife's age, by, by 15 years to the young side. She loved the app. She's like, man, it's amazing. It's the greatest app that they've ever come out with. But it missed mine by five years to the old side. So I retook it. And it added seven more years. So I did it again. It added ten years. So I quit before it pronounced me dead. Worry wearing me out, I guess. Face getting wrinkly, hairline running backwards, knees breaking down. It's wearing us out. I see people coming to this church that are completely exhausted. And most of us are so worried and exhausted that we wonder if the Apostle Paul was out of touch with reality when he wrote, Be anxious for nothing. Apostle Paul, what in the world? Be anxious for nothing. How about, how about be, be anxious for, for less? That would have been a sufficient challenge. Or be anxious only on Thursdays. 
be anxious only in, in, in severe affliction. But Paul doesn't seem to offer any leeway. He, he, he writes, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety and fear are cousins, but not twins. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out. Anxiety ponders, what if? Fear results in fight or flight. Anxiety creates doom or gloom. Fear is the pulse that pounds when you, are, when you see a cold up rattlesnake in your front yard. Anxiety is the voice that tells you never, never for the rest of your life walk barefooted through the grass. There might be a snake somewhere out there. Anxiety, especially the perpetual sense of anxiety can be crippling and it can paralyze. And that's why it must be dealt with. So I ask you today, examine yourself. Look for the signals. Preacher, what are the signals? Are you laughing less than you once did? Do you see problems in every promise? Would those who know you best describe you as increasingly negative and critical? Do you assume that something bad is going to happen every day that you wake up? Do you dilute and downplay good news with doses of your version of reality? Well, I know God did it then, but I just don't. No. I know God healed me of that disease, but it's coming back. Oh, yeah, it is. It's coming back. You just spoke it. It's on its way. Have you many days? Would you rather stay in bed than get up? Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? Given a chance, would you avoid any interaction with humanity for the rest of your life? And if the answer is yes, then the enemy has you wrapped up and right where he wants you. And if anyone had reason to be anxious, I know what you're thinking. Apostle Paul, he didn't live in 2020. No, he didn't. He didn't. But let your imagination transport you 2,000 years back in time. And envision an older man as he gazes out the window of a Roman prison. Imagine. Paul's about 60 years old, 30 years a Christian. And there is scarcely a seaport on the Mediterranean Sea that he doesn't know. Blame has bent back on the miles traveled and the beatings endured. He received 39 lashes on five different occasions. Have you ever been beat for loving Christ? He was beaten with rods, scars, spiderweb across his skin like bulging veins. He was once left for dead. He has been in prison, deserted by friends and co-workers, and has endured shipwrecks, storms, and starvation. He's probably half blind and squinting just to read. What's more, he is awaiting the trial before the Roman emperor. Nero has learned to curry the favor of the Roman citizens by killing believers, of which Paul is the best known. And, and, and as if the oppression from the Roman Empire wasn't enough, Paul also bears the weight of newborn churches. Members are bickering. False preachers are preaching out of pride and envy. So much for the easy life of the apostle. His future is gloomy as he... As, 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 as gloomy as his jail cell. Yet to read his words. You would think he just arrived on a Jamaican paradise vacation. His letter to the Philippians bears not one word of fear or complaint. Not one. He never shakes his fist at God. Instead he lifts his hands and thanks to God. And he calls on every reader to do the same. And Paul teaches us that the presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is optional. I may feel anxiety but I don't have to live in the prison of anxiety. Paul said you don't have to be anxious. There's a way to get out of that. And it's learning how to be thankful and say God I don't know what's going on but I'm thankful. I refuse to be bound by my anxiety. Uh, Paul. 
Oh, Apostle Paul gives us the remedy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul says, I'm going to give you the prescription for anxiety. When the enemy's trying to wrap you up, lift your hands and rejoice. When the enemy's telling you, why did this happen and that happen? Throw your head back and say, but God is good. And he's worthy to be praised. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice every time you think about the mountains you've climbed and the valleys that were in your way. You ought to feel a shout coming on because this verse is a call, not a feeling. It's a decision, a deeply rooted confidence that God exists and that God is in control no matter what's going on around us. This is important because remember anxiety is often the consequence of uh, perceived chaos and change when we can't get a grip on something immediately we go we go to fear and anxiety and failure and fear and anxiety and failure and we worry about everything but the bible has a better idea rather than seeking total control rather than balling our fist up and saying god i've got to control it why don't we lift our hands and just relinquish it to god because you can't run the world But you can entrust a God that runs the world. Listen, Apostle Paul was saying that rather than rehearse the world's chaos, why not rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty? Rather than talk about everything going on, why not just talk about the goodness of God? Why not talking about, why not talk about how great and mighty and powerful God is? Because blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. And every season he will bear fruit. God, you're good. And God's answer, you hear me today. I know we're in the midst of all this going on in our nation. I know where we're at, and I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because it's not the the crutch of my message. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. The prophet wrote Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uzziah's throne was empty, but God's was occupied. Uzziah's reign had ended, but God's had not. Uzziah's voice was silent, but God's was strong. He was and is alive on the throne and worthy of endless worship. God calmed the fears of Isaiah Isaiah, not by removing the problem, but by revealing his divine power and presence. The apostle held firm to this belief. Paul believed the same thing. Isaiah believed, let my enemies rage, let preachers self-promote, let storms blow. But Paul said, my faith is never going to collapse because my faith is found in the God that sits on the throne. Can I be honest with you today? I don't know who the president of the United States is going to be in a couple months. But I can tell you who the king of kings and the lords of lords is. I can tell you that he's not going to lose his throne. I can tell you he's almighty. I can tell you he's in control. I can tell you that he knows what's going on. And all we got to do is exalt him. He's sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. And I've got to believe. So Paul says this, and I'm done. Musicians, you can come. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. This is the remedy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, he goes on to say this. 
Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4 and 6. Watch verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, if you'll lift me up. He said, if you exalt me, I'll bring a calmness to your life that you can't describe. Don't come up just yet. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true. I mean, don't come this way. It's it. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Calm, C-A-L-M. Celebrate, ask, leave, and meditate. Paul entrusted that God would get glory no matter what happens. But the last thing, that Paul was thankful for. He was thankful for the sovereignty of God. But Paul was thankful for the mercy and the grace of God. No one had more reason to feel the burden of guilt than Paul did. He had orchestrated the deaths of Christians. He was an ancient version of a terrorist taking believers into custody and then spilling their blood. Paul was like a wild man. We got a wild man at this church going everywhere to devastate the believers, even entering private homes and dragging out men and women and jailing them. In addition, he was a legalist to the core. Paul believed that he could, by his own works and his own, his own purity, that he could earn his right and earn the favor of God. You read it, Philippians. If anyone ever had reason to hope that he could save himself, it would be I. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could. For I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if there ever was a real Jew, Paul said. What's more is I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to every Jewish law and custom. I greatly persecuted the church and I tried to obey every Jewish rule and regulation right down to the very last point. Paul had blood on his hands and religious diplomas on his wall. But then came Damascus Road where Jesus appeared. And once Paul saw Jesus... He couldn't see anything else. It was him only. He couldn't see the value in his resume anymore. He couldn't see merit in his own merits or work in his good works anymore. He, could see, he couldn't see reasons to boast about anything he had done anymore. And he couldn't see any option except to spend the rest of his life talking less about Paul and more about Jesus. So Paul becomes the poet of grace. But all these things that I once thought very worthwhile. Now I've thrown them away so that I can put my trust in Christ alone. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners whom I am the worst. Thanks be to God because I used to be a slave to sin but I no longer am. Then you go to 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Then 2 Corinthians 9 and 15 and speaking of the change God had brought about in the Corinthian Christians. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, unspeakable gift. But Paul, Paul, his most powerful statement of praise shows up in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that it is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't thankful for the house he lived in. Paul wasn't thankful for the money in the bank. Paul wasn't thankful for the possessions that he owned. Paul was thankful that God saved him. Paul, Paul said, I've been hungry. I've been abased. He said, I know what it's like to be full. He said, but I know what it's like to starve. But then he goes on to say, but I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. As we stand, a man named Jack Hinton was on a short-term missions trip at a leper colony in, on Tobago's Island. And one of his responsibilities was to lead singing during worship. And one Sunday there was time for one more song so he asked if anyone had a request a woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around and he said it was the most shocking face I've ever seen that leprosy had caused her to lose her nose her ears and her lips they were entirely gone and she lifted up her fingerless hand in the air and she asked can we sing count your many blessings overcome with emotion Hinton left the service weeping he was followed by another team member who said Jack I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again Jack said yes I will but I'll never sing it the same way because when you remember what sin did in our lives and how he showed up just this past Monday I've been repenting all week I've been repenting. I've been begging God for mercy. But Jay, I've been begging him for forgiveness. I've been asking God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for taking this for granted. This great worship, the presence of God, the mercy and the goodness of a place to gather and worship. Because just this past Wednesday, I was in my office. I had no clue what was going on. Brother Michael, Sister Tiffany, Sister Ashley, Sister Lakin, and Brother Trey were here. And there was a guy that delivered the bricks to our church. For the pull under. And he wasn't supposed to come in the building. He just delivered the bricks. But he walks in that door and he said, man, I, I can't get away. He said, I can't, I can't leave. He said, I don't know what it is. I hadn't felt the presence of God. But I, he said, they're going to wonder where I'm at. But I, I just can't leave. And my wife said it was awkward for a moment because he was just standing there. He was just standing there and there was no words being said. And he just couldn't leave. And he just walked away. And I think finally, Brother Michael said, can I pray for you? Brother Michael said, can I pray for you? This prodigal person that had lost their way fell on their knees and threw their hands up toward heaven. And the Spirit of God began to engulf them. And they began to speak in a heavenly language as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And I left weeping and I said, God, I'm sorry that I take this for granted. I'm sorry that I take this for granted. God, nothing else.
So last time I just spent time at the altar thanking God for mercy and grace. God, I just want to sit at your feet, God. I'm not here for blessings this morning. You don't owe me anything. I'm sorry that I've gone through the motions, God. I'm sorry that I just sing another song. But today, God, can you take me back? Can you take me back, God, to when I was lost and broken, but mercy showed up in my life? God, can you take me back to that love I felt from you when I was 12 years old? God, can you take me back? I don't know where you are today, ma'am or sir. But I think you owe him a little bit of gratitude today for what he's done in your life. I think I owe him a little bit of gratitude. I think I've been holding it back for too long. Some of us shouldn't even be here today. Some of us were drug addicts and the mercy of the Lord intervened and helped us get to where we are today. Brother Kyle, two head-on collisions. You shouldn't be here today, but the mercy of God showed up. Can you remember if you lost your house and your car today? Could you still love him? Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.